This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, a Spectator's daily and sometimes more than daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and James Forsyth. And this morning we've heard from Jeremy Hunt. The government has today decided to make further changes to the mini budget and to reduce unhelpful speculation about what they are. We've decided to announce these ahead of the medium term fiscal plan, which happens in two weeks. Firstly, we will reverse almost all the tax measures announced in the growth plan three weeks ago that have not started parliamentary legislation. This comes after a busy weekend and various interviews suggesting that changes were coming, and now we know what those changes are. Kate, how would you describe what Jeremy Hunt has just done to Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng's not-so-mini-budget? I mean, what metaphor do we want? He threw it we in the We have a couple. Yeah, he ripped it up and threw it in the fireplace. I mean, it's it's trustonomics and the economic agenda that, that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng uh, brought in just a few weeks ago is uh, well and truly dead. Let's list what he kept because that's a much shorter list. So the changes to stamp duty and the rise in the threshold for first-time buyers continue. And the national insurance levy for health and social care is still uh, yeah, being also, phased out. Also told the one million annual investment allowance also remains. There we go. Okay. There we go. So um, a longer list there. Um, we got to four. <laughs> most surprisingly, plans to bring forward the 1P cut to the basic rate of income tax have been scrapped completely. A lot of people thought that that would return to its original timeline of 2024. But actually, Hunt said that that's been ruled out indefinitely. He said it was not right to borrow to fund that tax cut. The VAT cut for foreign visitors is in the bin, as are freezes to alcohol duty, as are the plans to change IR35 rules. Perhaps... Most substantially, Hunt said that the Treasury is going to review the energy price guarantee, which at the moment is set to run for two years to cap the price per unit of energy uh, for everyone, regardless of income. And he's pointed out that that's, you know, and, and was from the beginning, frankly, absurd to be funding wealthy households at the expense of the taxpayer. So we should expect to see some changes, more a more targeted approach come spring next year. It is really just remarkable, and I, you know, I'm sure James is going to speak to this, when Hunt took the role as chancellor last week, it was thought that he had done it under instructions from Liz Truss that he was not to roll back any more of the mini budget because we'd already seen pretty substantial parts of it go. Um, that didn't stick. He has completely binned it, um, almost completely binned it. Uh, the bits that had been kept were bits that had already been changed or were going through parliament now. And basically anything that he could roll back, he did. And this is just, I mean, it's pretty unprecedented, right, James? I cannot think of as big and as rapid a U-turn in recent British political history. And I think if I was had more time, I don't think I could think of one further back. I think that this confirms that the mini-budget was the greatest unforced policy error since Suez. And the question is whether it is going to have the same kind of ramifications for Britain's role in the world as Suez did. After Suez... Britain was never again seen as the great military and diplomatic power that it had been before that. I think the question is, does 
the market's attitude to the UK persists? Is there a continues to be a risk premium on UK government debt for the foreseeable future? Now, the markets have unsurprisingly reacted positively to the junking of nearly all the mini budget, apart from the measures that Kate mentioned. But I think the question is, we are still not back to where things were before. And the question is, is that risk premium going to exist forever? Has the flaws in the British political process that have been revealed by the fact this mini-budget took place in the way that it did, but what Jeremy Hunt calls the decision to fly blind, to willingly fly blind, how much does the UK have to do to, to earn that reputation back? And I think what today is a reminder is that you never want to lose market confidence something that you wrote about this morning, Kate, because once you have done, you need to go that much further to win it back. You know, the, the markets did not freak out at the idea that income tax was going to go down by a penny in 2024, but that is now considered an unsustainable position. And I think that tells you something about the position that the UK now finds itself in. Although the fact that we have the finance ministry issuing pre-market statements at 6am saying there is more announcements coming today is another sign of that. Kate, do we have a sense yet of how the markets are reacting in a sense? This morning, obviously, the markets reopened after the weekend. Is this having the desired effect in terms of those tentative early signs? So on the Spectator Data Hub, you can follow guilt yields by the hour, which has you know, become a really exciting activity for us all. Um, as James says, it was quite remarkable that this financial statement was put out at 6.30 this morning, basically to indicate to markets, you know, more is coming. And also, please don't do what you did a few weeks ago when the markets reopened and Quasi Quartain had, had been on the news talking about how you, know, you hadn't seen anything yet. And that's when guilt yields, the cost of, of government borrowing, um, really started to spike. And so when the markets did reopen at 8 a.m. this morning, you actually did start to see those falls. I think the 10-year guilt yield fell from about 4.3% down to just under 4.1%. So, you know, we'll be monitoring that closely um, over the days and weeks um, as we get more announcements because there is more to come on the 31st of October as well. But Jeremy Hunt seems to have stabilize things to some extent, at least calm the markets down as to not keep surging the cost of borrowing. But to James's point, and I think this is a really important one, what is the medium-term repercussion of what's happened over the past few weeks? Because you can roll all of the policies back, or almost all the policies back, but you can't roll back the fact that it all happened to begin with. And whilst the cost of government borrowing was going up for virtually all Western countries, it shot ahead for the UK after the mini-budget. It really became an outlier. And is the government now just going to be stuck with these higher borrowing costs? Because even if even if Jeremy Hunt's done enough to indicate to markets, look, fiscal responsibility is back on the table, it doesn't mean that it's going to go back down to how things were before or that it's going to quite quickly and easily um, be on par with other countries. I mean, let's hope it does, right? I mean, it would be very good if it did, but there's absolutely no guarantee. And so the challenge remains for Jeremy Hunt because I, I don't think he is going to be able to really convince markets that financial stability and fiscal responsibility is back on the table until the 31st of October when we get more indication about his spending plans. And he had some pretty strong words in his statement today too. He emphasized again that all departments are going to have to find efficiencies and that seems to be possibly rolling back on the promise that Liz Truss and, and Quasi Quartain were making for weeks that at least health and defense wouldn't be subject to any kind of real-term cut. Um, and he also said that more spending cuts were on the way. He suggested more tax rises were on the way. I mean, today was a remarkable statement, and it also sounds like it's just the beginning. 
James, where does this leave Liz Truss's premiership? Ultimately, you have a situation where everything she campaigned on is pretty much in the bin. You have a situation whereby there's still the national insurance uh, reversal of that hike. That was something Liz Truss campaigned on. But pretty much everything else is now gone. And actually, you're looking at a changing picture where there could be more tax rises in the future, spending us. It's quite far away from what Liz Truss was talking about. Ultimately, lots of her promises look absurd at this point. So what does this mean for her position? So her ideological and political project is over. She holds the seal of office, but not much more. I think there is a credibility question about how she can stand up at Prime Minister's Questions on Wednesday. But I think she will do that. I think Liz Truss is a survivor. And I think that she has, uh, whatever you think of her policy positions, she has a kind of remarkable ability to keep going. And I think she will stand up on Wednesday. I still personally think that it is the markets that will determine the pace at which this crisis unfolds. You know, if this junking of a mini budget and the Halloween statement is enough to appease the markets, then I think I mean I, I'm I'm not then I think the trust premiership can continue for a little while. I think if the markets react badly, then we are into a whole another territory. I think the very interesting question that you raise in your blog, Katie, is this: is how does the right of the Tory Party react to this? Although she campaigned as a tax cutter, she is not. Um, She's not a natural creature of the right in some ways. And she, it took her a lot of effort and time in those early parliamentary rounds to actually unify the right behind her candidacy. How do they now react to the fact that she has been forced to junk everything on which she stood for? Now, Steve Baker, important figure on the right, has come out and supported her this morning saying that, you know, there's basically no alternative to what she's doing. I wonder whether the realisation of this, you know, seeps into people, whether they will continue to be as accepting of that. But I think, I I still think that ultimately, we are now in a political situation, as today's announcement shows, where the markets are the single most important force in British politics. James, when it comes to the problem she has on MPs, what do you think the sense is? Because I think it's quite confusing when you have lots of anonymous briefings saying the time is now. And we, we've had it to ourselves, you know, there are MPs who are convinced there's going to be a move against Liz Truss this week, next week. It's happening within the next fortnight. Then you speak to other MPs who are clearly unhappy, and these are the ones who are more likely to go public. Um, they will have their own demands, they will have their own agenda. Jamie and Green, Rob Halford, in a way calling Liz Truss an ideologic libertarian zealot, but then also saying, don't move just yet. So, so it's not exactly ringing endorsements. What's your sense of of how this is going to shake out? And has she won some support through the Jeremy Hunt appointment? So the first thing I would say is I don't think Tory MPs know how this is going to shake out. So I think we shouldn't, you know, there there isn't some kind of omniscient mind at the centre of all this who can tell you exactly what's going to happen. This is how humans react to situations. And the way humans react to situations isn't always predictable. I, I think you are undoubtedly right that she has won herself some time with the Jeremy Hunt appointment, because the thing that was creating the urgency was the market situation. That's ultimately why she felt she had to sack Kwasi Kwarteng. And if the markets had carry on in this disrupted, roiled form, then I think that, you know, she was clearly herself in danger. I think she has bought herself some time with that, but it's not clear. I think that there will, don't, um, don't laugh when I say this, I think people are gearing 
up for demands to changes to the Downing Street operation that favoured um, old uh, Tory chestnut. Also the Whip's office. Uh, yeah, so you name it, all of these things. And I, Matt, Matt Hancock thinks of reshuffle. A reshuffle. Do, do we know if Matt Hancock wants to be part of that? Uh, I think if you watched the Andrew Neil show last night, he said that he was talking about lots of talent on the backbenches that, that didn't necessarily just include him, as he was saying. Just like he didn't uh, rule himself out, did he? Uh, I think he said that he didn't expect to be called to serve. Oh. Um, but the, I think the thing here is, what do you do? We've seen some very, very, very pugnacious briefing from number 10 in the last two days. I personally think that has backfired. I think Tory MPs are more fed up with that. As someone said to me yesterday, that, you know, once you have done what she has done, you've lost the the right to call anyone else HSH1T because, you know, for crying out loud, look at the situation the Tory party currently finds itself in. It now finds itself 20 or behind points behind in the polls and having to promise the most electorally unappealing combination possible, which is tax rises and spending cuts at the same time. But I think that anyone who tells you that they know precisely what is going to happen is not right because this just depends on a mood, you know. I mean, I think there is a kind of real question, which is, you know, can you do PMQs in this situation? How do the markets react? All of these things are the things that will determine it. But I also think that we should learn from past experience that these things can take longer than people expect and just finally kate can you just perhaps put into context the scale of public spending cuts we're now talking about potentially because jeremy hunt used his comments to say you know more difficult decisions were coming we know before this happened when it seemed as though um quasi was still going to be chancellor that they wanted to keep most of the tax cuts obviously that has now changed that it was going to be you know drastic is it still going to be very drastic so jeremy hunt was very keen to emphasize that what he's done today accounts for about 32 billion pounds worth of revenue that's an important number because the mini budget was planning on implementing 45 billion pounds worth of tax cuts so for him to account for about 32 billion pounds of that is actually quite a substantial figure and i think that was a direct comment to markets and he was really keen to highlight it like look most of what was happening isn't happening anymore but what's so remarkable um about and 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 truly quite shocking about what's happened over the past few weeks is the extent to which having to now account for essentially every penny is a crisis of the government's own making if we just go back a few weeks and had the government wanted to borrow slightly more and and had they really wanted to make that that growth case I think even if the Office for Budget Responsibility had suggested that the the hole in the public finances was going to be larger than what the government thought, the government might have had a bit of wriggle room to actually convince markets, no, go with our plan, it's going to work. That is gone, right? There is no goodwill, there is no market confidence uh, when it comes to this government's commitment to fiscal responsibility. So even though what Jeremy Hunt's done has accounted for £32 billion, if the Office for Budget Responsibility, based on lots of independent forecasts we've had so far, finds between, say, 60 to 80 billion pounds worth of a black hole in the finances, Jeremy Hunt is going to be under pressure, perhaps not to actually find every penny, but to come very close to it, which means that we are still looking at potentially tens of billions of pounds worth of spending cuts. And that's when we get to the question of whether or not the government is actually going to increase departmental budgets with inflation. Um, And if they decide not to, if they decide to do nominal rises instead of real rises and stick to the spending review from 2021, 
departments are going to be looking at having to find billions of pounds of efficiencies and savings. And, you know, again, it brings up questions about the health service, about defense, about promises, more promises, more promises that Liz Truss made on the campaign trail that she might have to U-turn on. And with that, we're just going to end the podcast with a very special guest because Fraser Nelson has just walked in the room. Fraser, we've just been discussing the screeching U-turn and large ditching of parts of this. Um, What do you make of it? Has the anti-growth coalition won? Well, U-turn is one way of putting it. I was um, speaking to a government minister earlier on who had another word for it. That word was coup. Now, this is very interesting because... um, Suella Braven, of course, used this word at Tory party conference. She was saying that you know, she's a home secretary. She got into lots of trouble for that. But what we are seeing now is a complete... Not, it's not just a U-turn. This is a change of government. We've got Jeremy Hunt standing there, flags flying behind him, announcing this new, new regime change. And we've got a policy which the economists are saying is going to make the recession deeper. So it is very um, difficult now. Of course, the paradox here is, sure, you stable the markets. Now, perhaps a deeper recession higher prices and lower pay is the price worth paying. But I think there is some way to go before the Conservatives quite internalise the sheer radicalism of what has just happened. Does it have the consent of the rest of the Cabinet? It wouldn't surprise me if we start to see some resignations, because there are some people here who deeply resent what's happening, who think a lot of it was unnecessary, and think that now the trust project has, has caved, and that the government is now dancing to a tune called by somebody else, perhaps even not by Jeremy Hunt, but those around him. So I think this will be a very interesting week. It'll be interesting to see how many members of the government are still in their job. Because remember, a lot of people weren't expecting Jeremy Hunt to become Chancellor on Friday afternoon. It wasn't just us who were astonished. The rest of the cabinet were astonished. The rest of the government has just seen their project, which they were going out to individually defend, can be the reverse. So now your average cabinet member needs to go out there and stop talking about growth and start talking about stability. This is, you know, effectively a Sunakite message in the government led by Liz Truss, which is fundamentally unstable proposition and one that I'm not sure will hold for that great a length of time. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. Thank you, Kate. And thank you for listening. The government has today decided to make further changes to the mini-budget and to reduce unhelpful speculation about what they are. We've decided to announce these ahead of the medium-term fiscal plan, which happens in two weeks. Firstly, we will reverse almost all the tax measures announced in the growth plan three weeks ago that have not started parliamentary legislation.
So whilst we will continue with the abolition of the health and social care levy and stamp duty changes, we will no longer be proceeding with the cuts to dividend tax rates, the reversal of off-payroll working reforms introduced in 2017 and 2021, the new VAT-free shopping scheme for non-UK visitors, or the freeze on alcohol duty rates. Secondly, the Government's current plan is to cut the basic rate of income tax to 19% from April 2023. It is a deeply held Conservative value, a value that I share, that people should keep more of the money they earn. But at a time when markets are rightly demanding commitment to sustainable public finances, it is not right to borrow to fund this tax cut. So I've decided that the basic rate of income tax will remain at 20%, and it will do so indefinitely until economic circumstances allow for it to be cut. Taken together with the decision not to cut corporation tax and restoring the top rate of income tax, the measures I've announced today will raise every year around £32 billion. Finally, the biggest single expense in the growth plan was the energy price guarantee. This is a landmark policy supporting millions of people through a difficult winter. And today I want to confirm that the support we are providing between now and April next year will not change. But beyond that, the Prime Minister and I have agreed it would not be responsible to continue exposing public finances to unlimited volatility in international gas prices. So I'm announcing today a Treasury-led review into how we support energy bills beyond April next year. The objective is to design a new approach that will cost the taxpayer significantly less than planned, whilst ensuring enough support for those in need. Any support for businesses will be targeted to those most affected, and the new approach will better incentivise energy efficiency. <clears throat> 